everybody. Good evening. Yeah, let's see if I can balance that. Does that work? That makes me nervous. It's going to spill. I would spill my water all over myself. Okay. Can you guys hear me okay? Is this an okay distance, volume? <laughs> can you hear me now? Is that better? Okay, cool. If, if at any point I, like, step back and you guys can't hear me or if I'm too loud, just let me know. Um, okay. Hi, I'm Sarah. I'm an alcoholic. Um, thank you for asking me to speak tonight. I appreciate it. Um, I went to Water District the first time when I was in rehab, and it was over at the actual Water District. So I'm definitely honored to be a speaker at this meeting this evening. Um, my sobriety date is September 1st, 2015. So I have about three and a half years of sobriety. Um, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor. Her name is Dawn Manns. She's right over there. And um, I consider myself highly privileged to be able to work the steps with her. She's changed my life in more ways than one. And, um, okay, so... Where's the clock, guys? Do you have anyone? <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'll get my phone. I will. I will talk for like three hours if I don't if I don't time myself. So. All right. Okay. So, um, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, and. Uh, I had a pretty chaotic family life. Um, I don't really like when I when I explore my childhood and how I was brought up. Um, I'm very careful to not ever blame any of those things for my alcoholism or my drug addiction because I'm of the belief that, um, like the book tells me that I drink and use because I like the effects that drugs and alcohol have on my body. And um, so I will spend some time identifying and like explaining where my childhood kind of brought me, but with the caveat that I don't really think any of those things cause my alcoholism. Um, so I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. My parents were divorced um, from the time that I was like one. And um, I was a pretty like, I was a pretty rambunctious and discontented and like bossy and angry child from like the beginning. Um, like I was a really big handful and I can remember I can remember being in kindergarten and um, just like like sitting in the friend circle or whatever it was and I was just pissed off like I just did not like being there at that time and um, I heard my mom was like I don't know she was like brought snacks for us that day or something like that um, but anyway she had to remind me like I remember this very clearly she reminded me like Sarah, you have to be nice to people, you know, like, like, be nice to people and you'll like how it feels. And I had to, like, switch, switch my psyche in that, like, five-year-old moment to, like, remember to, like, connect with the people around me. And I immediately felt a sense of, like, relief. Like, I immediately felt better. Um, but, like, my reflex, even all the way back then when I was, like, a little tyke, was to, like, push other people away and, um, like, disconnect myself from others. I felt isolated, and um, when I was in kindergarten, or no, this was first grade, yeah, first grade, I got smiley faces or sad faces written on my planner at the end of every day based on whether or not I had been bossy, um, and so I had control issues from the time that I was very little as well, and um, yeah, you know, I just, like, I was a perfectionist, and I remember when I was in fifth grade, um, I got a 71% on a social studies test, and I, like, had a mental breakdown in the middle of the classroom, and I was like, I'm never going to college, and 
I'm, you know, I was, I was neurotic, you know, from the time that I was very, very young. Um, and uh, I think that those, those things just point to, um, like, an inner sense of discontentment and restlessness and unhappiness with myself that I have kind of naturally within me. Like, my natural state um, is very insecure very distrustful of the world around me, like pretty unhappy and like I don't really mix too well with other people and like these are all things that I'm kind of working with in my raw material as a human being that like I need help with if I'm going to live a life that um, feels good to me and makes me useful to other people. Um, so I never, my, both my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics. They were both sober my whole life. Um, I grew up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, next to my dad, drawing on styrofoam cups. And, um, so I'm, I'm really blessed in that, like, I kind of, I knew exactly what AA was my whole life, because I literally owe, like, my existence to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, because my parents met here, and, um, <laughs> they 13-stepped each other. <laughs> so... So I'm the product of that, um, and uh, so I, I I always got a lot of warnings from my parents about like, hey, like we really we really fucked our lives up drinking and using, and um, like you kind of hit the genetic jackpot. So like maybe don't do that, you know? Cause like you you kind of like just shouldn't. And it was a very very strict rule in my household, particularly with my father, like it was very clear, like, you are not allowed to drink and use drugs if you're going to live in my house. Um, and I was, like, I was really, like, sure that I was going to do that up until I was, like, 11 years old. <laughs> and, um, like, I really believed that I was never going to drink or use. And um, then, like, middle school rolled around, and uh, I started becoming a teenager. And um, my mom was, like... My parents were both kind of gnarly in their own ways. My dad was unmedicated bipolar, so he was kind of violent and really intense. And um, my mom was had really gnarly depression and attempted suicide every time, like every year of my life, um, from the time that I was like in fifth grade until she committed suicide when I was in um, high school, freshman in high school. Um, so things were chaotic and emotionally intense for sure. Um, and I started acting out in seventh grade, like when I was 12 or 13. Um, I got my first taste of attention from guys, and that was really exciting to me. And um, also, I started like having these thoughts come around where I was like, hmm, like I started hanging out with older kids. Um, like I felt really cool about that, you know, the ego boost of, you know, being in middle school and hanging out with high schoolers and anything to like feed that inner sense of like not enoughness that I hold so closely to myself, anything that, like, feeds that and distracts me from that, like, feels really good, you know, and that happened for me from, from a young age, and um, so I remember starting to have thoughts about drugs and alcohol at that time, and I actually remember um, when I was, we, like, went to a cabin, me and my dad and my little brother and his girlfriend at the time, and um, I was listening to my iPod Nano, <laughs> if anyone remembers those, and, um, there's this song by Kanye West that came on, and it, like, talks about, like, drugs and alcohol. And I was, like, listening to it in the cabin. And I was like, you know what? It's like, I think I'm going to do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it was, like, a really, it was a pretty conscious decision that I made. And I did. Um, I did. So the first, the first time I ever um, used a substance that was mind-altering 
um, it was ecstasy. I went to rave and um, did ecstasy when I was in eighth grade. Uh, so I was an early bloomer. And um, I remember, like, when it hit me, like, distinctly having the thought of, like, oh, I, I understand why people get addicted to this. Like, this is probably not a great thing, you know? Um, but it's wonderful. And um, I woke up the next day and was, like, my serotonin was very, very low, and I was really stressed out and felt really guilty and sad. And, like, I remember pleading to God. I was like, just don't let me get caught for doing that. And, like, I'll never do it again, I promise. Um, and that lasted maybe, like, six months, I think. Um, but I started drinking, like, shortly after that. And uh, the first time that I ever drank, like, I was an alcoholic drinker from the jump. The first night that I got drunk, I was at a sleepover with my friend Grace. And um, I, like, could not stop drinking. I, like, we, we did that thing that you do when you're, like, in middle school and your parents have a liquor cabinet and you get, like, a water bottle and you fill it up with, like, all the different liquors so that they don't notice. And it's just, like, this disgusting, like, brown cocktail of all of the stuff, you know? So we did that, and, like, I made her get another one. And I remember her being, like, like really weirded out. She's like, but you're you're drunk. And I'm like, yeah, but I, like, really, like, if I can get, if this feels good, like, I want more for sure, you know? And um, I ended up, I ended up breaking her flat screen that night. Um, I like, <laughs> I, th I threw a, I threw a, a stuffed animal at her TV and I was dancing around her room and, um, I kissed her and, uh, so it was just like, oh, and I threw up all over her white carpet. So yeah, it was like not, not a good night for me. Um, but I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was, I was like, that was so fun. <laughs> and, um, yeah, like, I, I never really had any normal behaviors with drugs or alcohol. Like, I'm a pretty compulsive person with anything in my life. Um, so even when I was little, I did not ever have a period of time where I could drink normally or um, take really anything into my body that was going to change my headspace. Like, I didn't have an off button with that from the beginning. I always kind of wanted more um, because, you know, like I said, Whatever it is that's inside of me, it's like um, if I'm not treating it with spiritual help, um, I very much have like a an endless void inside of me that like I will I will search so ruthlessly and so fiercely to fill that with like anything that will bring me relief, um, and I like will not stop no matter what's in my way, and um, that very quickly became evident for me. Um, so I got caught drinking a couple different times after my mom died by my dad. I had, was just living with him then, and um, he made it super clear that, like, if it happened again, he was going to kick me out of the house, um, and I was going to be homeless. So I kept my drug and alcohol use, like, relatively under control during high school. I still did it, but, um, like, didn't want to be homeless, so I just, like, kind of kept it as secret as I could. Um, but another a part of my story um, is that I had a really, really, really ruthless eating disorder from the time that I was in high school, like freshman in high school, all the way until I got sober. Um, so that's a big part of my story. That That's kind of like what took over when I couldn't drink and use in the way that I wanted to. I fell really, really deeply into that throughout all of high school. And uh, then I went to college and like, oh, it was off to the races then, dude. Like I remember I got there and... Um, 
I got introduced to the people who ran the local liquor liquor store. Um, my second, it was my 20th birthday or maybe my, no, 18th birthday. Yeah, it was my 18th birthday. I got introduced to the people who ran the liquor store. It was like Mike and David or something like that. And um, classes hadn't even started yet. And I like knew the people who owned the liquor store. And um, and then it just, I could just get booze anytime, you know, and again, it was like, it was, so I revisited alcohol at that time, and again, there, like, I did not have a honeymoon period with drinking, like, I didn't have that experience where um, I was capable of, like, just not drinking during the week, and then, like, drinking on the weekends, like, most of my peers could, like, you, you party hard in college, a lot of people do, but, like, even, like, the intense kids, like, maybe drink, like, four days in a row. And um, I, from the bat, like, I was just, like, it, it maybe took a week until I was, like, had, like, bottles of vodka in my drawer and was, like, going to lectures drunk. And I had this, like, Nalgene water bottle um, that I would, like, fill with alcohol. And um, I loved, loved debating professors drunk. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, I would, like, I would write papers drunk, and there's, like, this quote by Ernest Hemingway that's, like, write drunk, edit sober. And I was, like, yes. I was, like, Hemingway understands. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's, like, he knows. But um, the truth was is that, like, I just, I needed, I did not have um, the inner resources within myself at that time to know how to live life functionally and healthily without something numbing me and making me feel better. Um, I didn't have the ability to emotionally regulate, and I really didn't know how to maintain healthy relationships with other people. Um, so um, I'll wrap up kind of how it was for me with, with this, just because I don't like spending too much time on it, but my life like very quickly spiraled out of control over the next couple years from there um, to the point where um, I ended up, I didn't, like I finished, barely, barely, barely finished a semester of, like my sophomore semester of college, and um, I was, like, my, my body, like, I was fainting all the time. My body was shutting down. I, like, very much, like, my hair was falling out. Um, I looked really, really rough. And, um, but to, to kind of give you a demonstration of how large the powers of my ego and my character defects and my pride are, um, I, like, wouldn't reach out to anyone for help. I didn't tell anyone what was really going on with me. Um, I kind of did it all in isolation, would, like, tell people I was going to the library, when really I was just going in my car to get drunk, you know. And, um, but, like, I skated by that semester, and I still had straight A's, you know, because, like, I would, I would exhaust, like, I would stay up for three days in a row writing papers and, like, trying to, like, trying to keep my whole world together, you know, because what you think of me is so important that like even when I'm dying inside and my whole, like I have this internal wasteland inside of me, like I will kill myself trying to maintain appearances, you know, and um, that's how much it matters to me to like, like keep this, this image of success even when I'm totally dying. Um, but I went home for winter break that, that year and um, my dad, he kicked me out of the house that time. And um, it was actually for an outside issue. It was not related to my drug and alcohol use, but he thought I was going to die, um, and that if he didn't kind of, like, draw that line with me, that I was going to be dead within, like, a couple days, and I really might have been, like, my body was totally shutting down, um, and I went to my grandparents' house in Denver, Colorado after that, um, they're my mom's parents, and I, uh, didn't really have a relationship with them after she died, um, like, five years before that, 
So I got the opportunity to go with them and, and live with them, and they were very, very supportive and loving towards me. They were definitely horrified. Like, they were, like, they, they thought that, you know, their, their daughter had committed suicide a couple years before that, and then I came on their door and was, like, like looked like I was following in her path, you know, so that was definitely traumatic and emotionally difficult for them. But uh, that started Rehab Tour 2015 for me, and um, so shout out to all the people in rehab in this room. I've been there. And um, multiple times. Um, I went to rehab two, three, five times that year. Um, and, you know, I was so, so tremendously blessed to be able to take a year off from my life and, like, have the support um, to try again and again and again and again because I just kept on failing and messing up. And, um, you know, I like that year I would kind of vacillate in between, like if my eating disorder was under control, I'd go back to drinking, and then if my drinking was under control, I'd go back to my eating disorder, and it would just kind of go back and forth, because all I'm trying to do with both of those things is, um, like, fill my discontentment, you know, because, like, another thing the book teaches me, and that Don has been really helpful in walking me through, is that, um, like, the symptoms of my alcoholism that, that are really the disease. Like, my drinking isn't the problem. It's what I use to, to fix how I feel. And how I feel is the problem. And, and naturally, like, if I'm living life according to how I think I should live life, um, it creates a sense of restlessness, irritability, and discontentment within me. And um, you're going to hear those words probably a lot if you stick around the rooms. Um, and the reason that you hear the cliches that you do in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is just because they're true um, a lot of the time. At least for me, that's definitely true. Um, it's still true for me. Like, if I'm not living in a way that's spiritually aligned with the way that my higher power wants me to live and behave today, like, those feelings return to me immediately. I'm, like, I'm not immune to that even today. Um, but, yeah, that year before I got sober, um, I was just, like, I reached very, like, new levels of desperation to, to alter my sense of shame and disease. Um, I drank rubbing alcohol that summer multiple times because I couldn't get access to alcohol, and I wasn't 21 yet, so I couldn't just go buy anything. It was like perfectly fucking logical for me to drink that. Like I remember, um, it was because I was like, I need to get drunk. I like looked it up, like Googled it. I was like, okay, it, it metabolizes into ethyl alcohol, and like, it's technically not that dangerous as long as you like dilute it with something and. Um, just like total craziness and my grandparents caught me because I was drunk and they're like what is going on with you and um, I told them and they were horrified like beyond and I remember just being like being like what's the big deal like I just needed to get drunk and, like I diluted it with vitamin water so like it's not that <laughs> big of a deal you know like um, and that's that's kind of the extent of my insanity when I'm reaching for something um, to alter myself, and I mean, really, the, the craziest thing is, is, like, the extent that I will go to knowing that I'm going to hurt the people that I love the most, um, and, like, when I'm, when I'm reaching for relief that desperately, it really doesn't matter to me, and, um, so I can, like, look at my dad, you know, and who's, like, super tough guy covered in tattoos, like, does not really show emotion, and I can, I can look him in the eye, and he's, like, crying and and his whole body is just like communicating desperation his baby is gonna die you know and I can just be like like 
all I see is, like, he's in my fucking way, you know? Like, I need to, like, leave so that I can go drink. And he's just, like, standing in the doorway. And that's how, like, disconnected I am from my heart and soul when I'm living in that, that way of life, you know? Um, and it's funny because deep, like, within myself, I'm actually, like, a, I'm a deeply loving, emotional person who has, like, a very high regard for, like, love and connection to me is actually the most important thing to me in the world. And taking care of the people that I love is, like, innately important to me, even when I'm like that. Like, I know who I really am when I'm living that way. I just can't match my actions with what I know because I'm so helpless. And that's it's a horrible space to be in when you're trapped in um, an addiction and alcoholism to the degree that, like, you, you love all these people in your life and you want to contribute to their lives and you want to be good to them um, and you want to be a good person and you want to live a good life. Like, I don't, I personally didn't lose any of that when I was drinking and using. I just couldn't. I couldn't match my behaviors with any of that. My behaviors were the opposite to all of that, you know? Uh, and that's a horribly painful space to live in. And um, so, of course, I ran more to drugs and alcohol to cover up the shame and, and the guilt and all that stuff. And anyway, fast forward to September. Um, I, like, just had finally had enough. I didn't really have, like, a big come-to-God experience. I didn't hit, like, a horrible, crazy bottom I was um, lying on the couch, and uh, I had my grandparents had just found out that I had gotten drunk in their house again after they had kept me in their house for an entire year and, like, nurtured me and given me the support and time that I needed to get well. And, like, I'd been lying to them for months, and I just remember, like, lying on the couch and feeling like, um, like I wanted to die. And it wasn't, like, suicidal. It was just, like, it would be really nice if I could not exist anymore. And I felt like my ribs were going to crack because I hated myself so much um, for the pain that I was causing the people that I loved, you know. Um, I just felt so unworthy of their support and their kindness. And, like, I just, um, I had turned into someone who wasn't giving anything constructive to the world around me. Like, I was, I had just become a force of destruction. I wasn't really providing any goodness into the world. Um, I was a source of stress and trauma and pain and um I don't know that's just kind of that's when I decided to to go to rehab again um but that time I, I really did it um and that was at first that was in Denver I did um I did like 30 days in Denver and then I came out to Orange County and um I went to my first meeting out there it was the Canyon Club it was a candlelight meeting um I met my first sponsor there. Um, her name is Jennifer. She was wonderful, and I just kind of, I immediately dove right into the steps. Um, one kind of character defect slash asset that I have that benefits me if I use it correctly is that I'm, like, pretty relentless. Um, so when I really commit to doing something, either good or bad, like, I don't really look back, you know, and... Um, so I started working the steps, and um, as far as the whole God concept goes, I didn't really have a, a conception of a higher power. Um, luckily, though, I was I was spiritually minded. I've always kind of been, like, I've always craved spiritual knowledge, and topics about spirituality have always, like, been very interesting to me. Um, 
and I didn't have any like religious concept of God, but I definitely, it comforted me. Like all of my plans had failed so miserably um, that it was really comforting to me to think about the fact that like maybe I could just give up and just like let myself be guided for the first time ever, you know, cause like it just, it had not worked. And I was so like obliterated by that time that I was actually really able to just give up and like be guided. So I went to um, a transitional living program and I did a lot of trauma work. I was another monstrous blessing that I've had in my life was the ability to do a lot of like therapy to sort through um, just all of the emotional baggage that I had disconnected myself from in my years of drinking and using. Um, but the real, like the most transformative work that I did obviously came through the steps. Like they tell you that rehab is the most expensive big book you're ever going to get in your life. And they're right. In my, in my situation, like they were right. Um, I needed to work the steps and that's really what started transforming what it felt like to live in the world and, uh, what it felt like to be me. Um, so, um, I worked obviously one, two, and three, and then I did a fourth step and a fifth step. And that was wonderful, um, because it was good to like share all the different experiences that I had had that I'd kept tucked underneath for a really long time. Um, but I didn't have the kind of crazy white light experience that a lot of people have with the fifth step. It was more just like it felt like getting a really hard homework assignment done. And I was like, so glad to be done writing. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my God, like, thank God that's over. Um, but the real like transformative spiritual work came for me in steps six and seven and then eight and nine. Um, because what I have discovered and continue to discover about myself as a woman in sobriety um, is that most of my problems in my life and most of the things that cause me pain are a result of my character defects in action and how my broken thought patterns and behavior patterns um, translate into my behavior in the world around me and into the beliefs that I have about myself. So I have a lot of um, like deeply faulty personality traits and reaction patterns to other people and like Harmony starts to come into my life when I ask God for help with those things so that I can live differently and see myself differently. Um, and that's really when things started shifting and changing. It was little stuff. Like, I was in a sober living the first time I worked the steps. And um, I used to get, like, really pissed off at people for the way that they would put away the silverware. Because um, they would just, like, they would just, like, shake it all into the drawer with, like, no order, you know? <laughs> And I would just, like, I, I would freak out, you know, because I was, I was really emotionally, um, like, I was, I was really aggressive then. I can still be aggressive today, but it was worse. It was worse. And um, I would just yell at people. And, and it's little transformations, like, when I started working my steps and opening myself to spiritual knowledge and, and presence in my life, stuff like that became, like, less important to me. You know, like, I was like, okay, so do I want to, create tension and discomfort for everyone in this room and hold myself in that space of constricted, angry, pissed off energy because of this like little tiny thing or do I want to like let it go and like go outside or like work my steps, you know? And um, so little transformations like that started happening in my life where I was like, hmm, like the way that it feels to exist in the world is it's like shifting for me a little bit, you know? And um, then I uh, did my ninth step and 
the most interesting, like that was really the most important step for me to begin with, um, because a big part of my alcoholism and um, and my broken patterns overall is shame and hating myself and um, not feeling deserving of, of love. And when you are engaging in behaviors that hurt the people that you care about, like I reinforce all of those ideas that I already have. You know, like I'm, I'm really, I'm actively convincing myself like, oh, I am undeserving of love. Oh, like things don't work out for me. I am a bad person, all of that stuff. I carry all this shame around within me. And so the ninth step with the first opportunity I ever got to like actually put into action clearing away wreckage because I had given so many apologies before but my behavior had never changed, you know, so I was just continuing to create pain in the lives of other people around me. And um, so it was really helpful for me to be able to, like the steps all the way up until mine really allowed me to transform as a human being enough that once I got there, like, I could tell them, like, hey, my behavior, like, tell me how I can make this better, and um, to the best of my abilities, like, I'll try and make sure that this never happens again. And with every amends that I've delivered, like, I have been able to maintain those promises um, because of the spiritual evolution and, like, progression of my character that the steps allow for me today. Um, I started off in sobriety, I was a receptionist at a little pest control company that had like 1,200 customers. And um, I was like mandated by my sober living to work like 14 hours a week. I couldn't work more than that because um, they knew that I was compulsive and <laughs> um, probably really wanted to make some money. And, um, you know, so now three and a half years later, like I'm blessed to be able to run that business and we have 12,000 customers now and um, like an entire fleet of trucks and we moved buildings and um, I get to lead a team of like 70 employees today and um, I don't even have a degree, you know, like that's just been the gifts that Alcoholics Anonymous have given me as a result of uh, committing myself to being made useful in this program and um, when I focus on that, like my life continues to get better, all of the things that um, I reach for and like trying to try to force when I'm in self-will, all of those things come naturally into my life if I'm focusing my energy on what I can do to be of service to other people. And um, so um, I worked the steps multiple times. I'm, I'm on my third round of steps now. And um, it's, it's helpful for me to continue the course of spiritual action in my life no matter what's going on. Uh, the book tells us that like, really our, our, our happiness and our usefulness depends on like the continuous exploration of spiritual principles. Like we need to broaden and deepen our spiritual life on an ongoing basis. And I really believe that. Like I don't, I don't ever get to stop searching for healing because like I have so much inner work that I still need to do and that I need God's help with. Um, I have a very strong connection to a higher power in my life and um, I don't really like shy away from or deviate from the fact that like I have God in my life and I, I think that the only reason that I'm sober today is because a power greater than myself like gives me the gift of being able to be sober every day. Um, I tried a whole slew of things to try and keep myself sober and get myself into recovery before I came into the rooms and none of it worked. And um, the moment that I opened myself up to the idea that maybe there was a force that was greater than myself that could help me is when I was able to stay sober. And I'm still able to do that on a, like, one day at a time basis. Um, 
I have the privilege of being able to work with other women today. I love sponsoring, and um, it's just a gift to be able to, like, translate everything that's been so freely given to me to another person, you know, and um, to be able to feel useful and connected. Because really that's what I was searching for my entire time with drugs and alcohol um, was that feeling of, of connection and, like, belonging in the world, you know? Like, that's what I got when I first got drunk because I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm so interested in everything that you're telling me right now and I feel really comfortable in myself, you know? And this is amazing. Like, this is what I want forever. Um, and the cool thing about sobriety, though, is that I get to cultivate those feelings in an authentic way. And by no means do I get them all the time. Like, I'm still, um, I'm still, like, a very character defect filled human being but I get like the more and more that I apply myself to spiritual work the more like little peaks I get into God's world because like God's world is always there like we're always right in it but like the way that I see things a lot of the time keeps me from being able to connect to it um, because I'm still self-obsessed and um, fearful and insecure and like I don't trust the world or myself and so a lot of the time like I'm just in this state of tension and um, it deprives me of the ability to just connect to this wonderful gift of life that I have today as a result of being sober. Um, but it's really beautiful to see how um, applying this program in all areas of my life allows me to be a better woman for every single person I interact with. Um, one of the like most frequent spaces where I find myself struggling with my character defects is at work. Um, because, like, I have power at work, I have stress at work, I have responsibilities, um, there's always a lot of things on my plate, and um, I get, like, so laser-focused in on the tasks that I have to do that, like, I'll completely forget that really, like, the 12 and 12 12 tells me that, like, it's, like, God is my boss, God is my employer, you know, and anything else I do, like, that's secondary, but I get so caught up in, in my behavior and how I want to come off and how I want to look that a lot of the times, like, um, like, my employees will be the biggest checks that I have on my character defects because, uh, like, they'll tell me or, or say in an anonymous survey <laughs> that I give them. <laughs> they'll be like, um, they'll be like, we do not feel safe approaching you or, like, you know, you're, you're like, you're like, you're not approachable at all. Like, you can't, or, like, you know, if we ask you for help, like, you, you're mean about it, like, you'll help, but, like, you're irritated, you know, and, like, that's true, because, like, I'm, I'm just, like, I'm just on my, I'm on my game, you know, I'm, like, what do you want, um, but, and, like, it's humorous, but at the same time, it's really not funny, because that's my job, like, it's my job to be there for other people, it's my job to be a good leader, it's my job to be supportive, um, and that's, like, but again, and it dials all the way back to what I said when I first started speaking with you guys tonight, is that, like, if I'm not seeking spiritual help, I have these, um, I have these, like, behavior patterns and thought patterns that put me at odds with the rest of the world. And that's the last place that I want to be in, because deep down, like, I'm highly connection-oriented. I'm actually, like, such a softie, and um, I care so much about other people. Like, the deepest yearning of my soul really is to be helpful and connected with others. Like, I want to be kind. I want to contribute well to the world. I want to show love. I want to project warmth. I want to bring energy to other people. Um, that's, that's the woman that my higher power wants me to be, right? That's, that's what I was created as. But I get in my own way a lot because I'm an alcoholic and I have a spiritual malady. Um, and what I get to do 
being sober today is apply like very concrete and simple steps of action to continue evolving into the woman that I want to be so that I can show up in the world in a meaningful way. And um, I'm just so grateful to be sober. I've found like wonderful fellowship in these rooms and friendship beyond anything that I had ever known when I was drinking and using. And um, I feel like a genuine sense of belonging. And that's not something that I really feel in society at large. Like a lot of the time, like like the world makes me squirmy. Like I'm like, I don't really like it here. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, that's a lot of the time that's just me because I'm being judgmental or whatever it is. But what I know is that when I come into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, I feel um, like I'm surrounded by people who get it. Because, like, I'm crazy. You know, I'm crazy. But you guys understand because you're crazy too in your own way. <laughs> And um, I love that. I love the people that I have in my life today. And um, I love the life that I get to live as a result of being sober. I definitely don't do it perfectly. But I get to keep on um, striving for more godly perfection every day as a result of being in the rooms. So um, with that, I'll wrap up. Thanks for letting me share.